feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Tiff Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, how are you? It's day three of the film festival. Uh, it's Bright also early. Uh, September the 11th as we're recording this, uh, the 20th anniversary of that tragic uh, event in that <laughs> day. Um, we talked a lot about that on the review for Worth, which you can go back and watch or uh, listen to. Um, but, um, you know, we haven't forgotten and, and I think it's also just important to acknowledge, uh, acknowledge it, yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Um, yeah. Day three, um, we are running on, I hate running on like empty a, like Jackson yeah. Brown. No, it, it, I hate being that person in like that kind of cliche of like, oh, but like that is part of the festival. Like I think the last two nights, you know, four or five hours sleep each, but, uh, last night we did spend in Soho, everyone. So, yes. <laughs> I see what you did that there. I thought you were going to say last night a DJ saved my life, yeah, referring sure. to the song. Right. No, I, I you know me with music. But uh, yes, today we are reviewing Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Eric and I went to kind of the premiere last night. It was at the same time as the premiere. We went to the press screening of it at Tiff Bell Lightbox, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. But uh, God, I love that theater. So it just it is another another world when you go there compared to most places. But uh, yes, we are reviewing Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. We're covering the entirety of the 2021 Toronto International Film Festival. So if you want to get all of our reviews, uh, head over to our YouTube channel, subscribe over there. Uh, click that notification bell. You'll get all of our video reviews, or if you prefer an audio format, you can head over to the Untitled Movie Reviews podcast. Uh, subscribe over there, and you'll get all of our TIFF content. We'll be having reviews for Dune. You can get our review for Spencer. Uh, we have tons of stuff up right now, uh, and we'll have even more over the next week and a half, so it's a blast. But yes, today, Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Eric, uh, I know our hype levels were were both Edgar Wright fans. I think you a little bit more than me, um, but uh, I think this is one of my, our most anticipated films of the festival. Yeah, and and especially considering you know Edgar Wright himself, um, you know we reviewed uh, his first documentary uh, earlier this year that played at Sundance and premiered at Sundance, the Sparks Brothers uh, documentary about uh, the band Sparks, uh, Ron and Russell Mail. Um, and, uh, as people know, also reviewed Annette, which features the Sparks brothers, which this movie features, which was written and that script and the music was written by, uh, the the Sparks. Yeah. And there's a marionette in this movie. Right. (laughs) Sort of. It all, it all comes full circle, but going back to write himself, he is a a fan of film, a proponent of watching movies in the cinema. He's also a uh, a genre aficionado when it comes to horror specifically. And you know, with his breakout film uh, Shaun of the Dead, that combined the horror comedy elements to kind of make this fun, um, over the top, but still gory and respectful um, genre effort that kind of set him apart from other filmmakers in the early 2000s. And since then, you know, he completed his Cornetto trilogy. He uh, directed uh, a film in Toronto with Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh, more recently, he directed the now somewhat problematic uh, baby driver based on a couple of the cast sure. members. Um, but 
another you know key aspect of of who Wright is is his love of music and sort of incorporating you know soundtracks that are specific to him and also the milieu of the period that's being depicted or based on sort of the character expressing themselves you know from the inside Through out music, yeah. yeah and here with last night in soho talking about first this is truly a horror film first and foremost not a horror comedy yeah. and he is very much paying homage to uh giallo uh horror movies um you know films from mario bava and dario argento you know you think of obviously the most obvious reference being suspiria um you know when it comes to giallo uh movies there there are key uh, indicators of of that in terms of signature style points where you have saturated colors uh breaking glass um close-ups of eyes intense unsettling music and usually a murder mystery that's fairly obvious to predict and then on top of that I mean, obviously, Jalo Cinema is uh, Italian-based, so a lot of the uh, North American releases or, or you know, English-speaking releases of those films were dubbed. So, you know, like when you when you watch some of those movies and go back and see, you know, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, you see the the, the dub not really syncing correctly, and that's kind of the charm of those movies now. Mm-hmm. Um, and all those elements are incorporated in Last Night in Soho, which is a story about a uh, young woman who aspires to be a fashion designer and moves from her rural home living with her grandmother uh, to London. Um, And when she gets there, uh, she kind of sees the world in kind of those rose tinted glasses at first, but very quickly begins to realize that uh, it's a very cruel and mean place to the point where the dorm she's at and the people, you know, she's staying with are always partying. Uh, they, they don't care about, you know, what she's doing. And so she moves out to this kind of small little apartment uh, run by the late great Diana uh, Rigg, who uh, a lot of people will remember from uh, the TV series, the Avengers, not the Marvel Avengers and uh, on her majesty's secret service with uh, one and done bond, George Lazenby. And what she begins to um, realize is that her dreams uh, might be a reality. And uh, one of the traits of Ellie, uh, played by Thomas and Mackenzie, is that she loves everything to do with uh, the 1960s. Um, and nostalgia plays a very huge role in this film, as well as the sort of genre bending elements. Now, we're not going to spoil anything with uh, this review. We're, we're going to be respectful to Edgar Wright's wishes, and we would be even if he didn't post you know that that venice uh letter um but in the trailer there is a scene or scenes where we see uh ellie basically inhabiting the life of a 60s starlet um played by anya taylor joy sandy who also uh has aspirations but her aspirations are to be a uh singer and sort of maneuvering in the world and navigating through sort of a male dominated um, 
entertainment industry at the time. It's a movie that kind of plays tug of war with you. And I, and I think we both feel this way where yeah. watching the film, there are moments uh, that are very much kinetic and filled with kind of a joyous uh, reverence for the genre. And, you know, Wright is a filmmaker that is always fun to kind of watch his movies unfold. But then there's another part where we're going to have to be cryptic about it, but yeah. the the plot twists and turns, and we can say that at least, seem to be a little bit inconsistent. And then also they kind of play in this kind of category of, well, they want to have their cake and eat it too. And it just feels like it portrays some of the character beats of the yeah, story. Totally yeah, no, I, I'm completely with you. Uh, I think you summed it up quite perfectly there, Eric. But like, I, I, I'm kind of torn on the movie. Um, I think I'm a little hit or miss with Edgar Wright. Like, I really like him as a person and as a filmmaker, and I'll always be interested in any movie that he makes. Um, but the Cornetto trilogy, not really my thing. Obviously loved Scott Pilgrim at the time. Um, I was the perfect age for it. We are from Toronto. I love video games. I love, I read the comics and um, I, I, that movie I love. And then Baby Driver, I thought was a pretty solid, um, you know, heist movie. And, um, you know, I, I think he does a pretty good job in this movie, injecting himself and his style into that Jallo kind of, you know, formula. Um, I think it's energetic. I think it's a ton of fun at times. I think it's exciting. Uh, the wall-to-wall music, I think, uh, weirdly works where I wouldn't expect like a, a horror movie or a Jallo movie like this to just have wall-to-wall kind of needle drops and it still be kind of uh, creepy at times. And and he, I mean, he plays with sound and, and, and music, like you mentioned, which is a, is a trope of the genre as well. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, the two lead performances are great. I love Thomas and Mackenzie. I love Anya Taylor Joy. Like I thought, uh, the dual kind of role of them kind of mirroring each other, I think, is, is cool. Uh, a lot of the imagery is stylish and 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 beautiful um, and off putting at times. Um, um, I just I think it left me um, wanting more or something to be desired because like. Um, I feel like it just in that last act kind of falls apart a little bit. And um, I like the themes and in, in what the movie is overall kind of trying to um, say or, or touch on. And, and we alluded to it a little bit. And I don't want to go too deep into it because it was something I think that was unexpected for me. Like, I don't know if I was thinking I didn't think this movie was going to tackle certain subjects that it does. And I think it's kind of an interesting kind of way to go someone who fantasizes the you know uh the past and, and leans into nostalgia a lot and especially a time where they weren't alive and you go well like for me and you we were born in the 80s eric but we you know love 80s we, movies we grew we up like, in the 90s in the 90s right? but then we kind of look at the 80s like this time where we we weren't really living through but we're like oh it seemed really fucking awesome and i like the idea of taking that and like you said she she doesn't like her situation she's at in the present day um, with these people she doesn't feel like she connects with. So she wants to escape to this, you know, fake kind of reality. She kind of almost creates that's this, uh, you know, uh, view of the past in her head. And then when she gets an actual, you know, you know, a, a kind of a view into what actually took place then and how, you know, um, uh, how men treated women and, and, and how, you know, the, uh, 
like how problematic it was and just kind of um, how people dealt. Like I liked that kind of diving into those subjects, but then even I if also it's sim- feel, even if it's simplified, yes, like it, so it's, that's it's kind of what I was going to say. Yeah. And like, I just like that they touched on it. I wish they went a little bit further. And then I totally agree with you that it kind of betrays some of its characters in the final act to the point where I think it's just trying to get one on you or like kind of go or like you said it's kind of like a thing to be like well it's a a mystery with kind of a twist and I feel like the twist just doesn't really work and then it kind of left me going oh like I I don't believe it like I don't kind of buy into um and then it takes you out of it and then even so I kind of ultimately was like I had fun with it and I think I ultimately enjoyed it because of its style and you know i think edgar wright brings a lot of himself that you wouldn't think kind of work would work in in a format like this or a movie like this because like you said it is a horror movie first and foremost it's not Shaun of the dead but like there are you know classic edgar wright kind of one-liners or jokes that i think sometimes land and sometimes don't they um there's you know the kind of kinetic kind of whoosh, like editing kind of thing that in that you see a lot in scott pilgrim and baby driver and recent stuff and all of his movies really like he and i wouldn't again i keep saying this but like i didn't think that that would work in a movie like this but i found myself kind of going oh okay like i like seeing edgar wright kind of put his spin on this and um yeah ultimately i think it just doesn't quite stick the landing um but I, I'm kind of I, I did enjoy myself, but I just wanted more. Yeah, and and what I think we all should should talk about um, is that this film is co-written by Christy Wilson Karens, who yeah. uh, wrote 1917, and uh, Edgar Wright also has a story by credit here. So it is his idea, but he's collaborating with her to get you know the female perspective on the mm-hmm. story. And part of it feels like it's almost like a failsafe situation where it's like some of the stuff that we saw in this movie, if it were to be criticized by us, it would almost be like, oh, well, you know, we we brought on, uh, you know, a a female consultant, a writer to kind of, you know, bring a perspective that otherwise wouldn't exist because it might be then harder to maybe call Edgar Wright out on some of those last act sort of twists and turns and betrayals. And it just kind of feels a little bit disingenuous almost not to say that, you know, Karen's didn't do anything on the script because obviously she's a, she's a genre fan as well. So yeah, it's hard to say on on that point because I do agree with you, but like, I feel like maybe I'd be curious to see kind of, where the project started and it, if, if it even involved some of the themes and things that we're talking about, or if that did come from Karen's, um, like I, I just, I'd be curious if it was more straight up or if she came in and was like, Hey, let's add another level onto this. And, and again, the movie doesn't necessarily, you know, it's, it's, you know, basically it's like, well, you know, the classic saying of like, well, it was a different time back then, right? Like kind of excusing people's actions because it was in, you know, men acted differently and that's just kind of how it was back then. And I like the idea of saying, no, fuck that. And kind of showcasing that in like in a genre 
in genre ways. And like, um, I don't know if that was her who brought that in or if it was right. And then they brought in her to kind of, you know, tweak it. That's hard to kind of say. Well, also with um, the, the, the sort of the underlining, uh, development of, of Ellie, uh, Thomas and Mackenzie's character. Um, and, you know, it alluding to mental illness within the family and, mm -hmm. you know, having, you know, the, the first scene having lost her mother and, you know, sort of that slow decline into madness and whether or not it's really happening. Um, that's also a very delicate situation to handle in films in general. And then on top of that, especially when you're depicting it within, you know, the, the the female psyche of, of those characters because you don't want to just betray you know especially if you're coming from a male point of view of like creating a character that's just quote-unquote hysterical or you're gaslighting this character you want to give you know ellie um some agency still and not just betray her in order to make her a plot device or yeah. to move the story along. And um, I think it, it is more successful there with, with handling some of that stuff, even if um, maybe some of the structure and again, the last act don't always pay off or you maybe question some of that those decisions that are being made because i also think that it does take a really weird stance on um sex workers in in a weird way as well that kind of just feels like okay like i'm sure edgar wright you know isn't sort of you know condemning sex workers but it just kind of feels like almost like you know there's this sort of evil side to that that's just mm -hmm. kind of like they just left it there. They left it hanging. Um, no, another, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and another thing I did actually really like in terms of casting Anya Taylor-Joy, I mentioned that, you know, Jalo has always been kind of interested in the eyes specifically. Mm -hmm. She is such, she has such a captivating face that it's kind yeah. of like a, a perfect actor to sort of have a close up in a horror movie to cause that additional <laughs> anxiety and mm -hmm. stress and, and, you just remember like, you know, that face on the stage and sort of the, 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 again, the, the, the old adage of, you know, this town or this industry will chew you up and spit you out and, yeah. and how people change uh, over time. Because when we first see her and, and, and when, you know, Ellie's vicariously living through Sandy, she is plucky and determined and knows what she wants and knows you know, where she wants to go in life. And then she meets, you know, Matt Smith's character who, you know, on, again, on the surface level seems like a decent guy or, 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 you know, sets himself apart from, you know, the rest of these kind of men who are pigs and, and, and mm -hmm. jerks. And, and this was long before he became Skynet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, or Dr. Who, um, or maybe it was he was Doctor Who at this time, but but even that's kind of interesting in terms of yeah. where that character's dynamic goes. There's there's a moment where you see him hanging out with somebody later on, and it's almost like you know talking about politics at the end of the day, all being on you know at the same table. It's just when the cameras are on, they're you know 
creating this persona mm-hmm. or posturing themselves as somebody else in order to, you know, win another person over. Yeah. And, and I like what you interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I like what you brought up of like, maybe like trying to make it in the arts, right? Like in, in performance and, and in whether it's film or music or fashion or something like that. And kind of that metaphor as well of like, not, not comparing it, you know, that, you know, I, I think sex work, I agree with you how it's portrayed in the movie. And I don't know if it's necessarily comparing like working in the arts to like selling yourself, you know, selling sex and stuff like that. And I don't think there, there's anything wrong with that. But I think it's interesting of, you know, the predatory men in the film and like how they kind of take advantage of you that could allude to, you know, working in the arts and then and, and how it's kind of portrayed in the movie. I think there's something interesting there. But going back to it, I just never know if it's explored enough to kind of really have a meaty, like something meaty to say. Yeah, there's um, more here than there is in a lot of Jallo films because Jallo movies sure. like are they truly the kind of pretty shallow well yeah. they're the you know style over substance yeah. and, and there's a lot, a lot of style here and it is style over substance but there is like a little bit there at least yeah and even though there's no dubbing in this movie you could almost argue that the dubbing is having uh, yeah. Ellie you know basically sharing th- this kind of avatar kind of type character and, and mirroring and, her, yeah her it always shows her through mirrors and things like that and i liked we talked about this on the way home where you brought up that really interesting point where there and i thought the dubbing because in in the dubbing it's always a little bit off right and i thought like even in the way that she was mirroring mirroring um how ellie was mirroring sandy like i thought it was interesting that it was always a little off right like it wasn't completely in sync and then that is a testament how edgar wright shot the movie too like you'd have to shoot the scenes you know uh, the same exact scene and I just kind of liked that it was off kilter a little bit and a little bit off and I just thought the editing was very smooth there as well to kind of showcase that and how certain shots would transition between the two actresses and um, again it's it's hella stylish and that's kind of Edgar Wright's thing right like I mean and I think it's not for everyone but um, and he's I working with a, a really wonderful um, cinematographer, cinematographer with, yeah. with Chung Hoon Chung who um, shot uh, the adaptation of, of Stephen King's It uh, the more mm-hmm. the recent one and then also is Park Chan-wook's uh, regular cinematographer and then another thing that I want to say that I actually really did like about the script that I feel a lot of people will complain about is it doesn't over explain the time travel paradox yeah. of it all and I feel like that is something where like a, a a mainstream audience member or some criticism will be well like oh I need to know the minutia or how like this all works and I kind of it's just like okay just go with it like just well you I think don't it need goes to get back, into yeah. it too deeply because it's basically and- dreamlike yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. And I think when you said uh, talked about how the, the movie depicts mental health and things like that, I think it's more so how the characters in the movie are perceiving her abilities as, you know, mental health issues when, you know, obviously the movie is saying that her abilities are like real where like you see she sees her mother, you know, in, in the mirror at, at the beginning of the movie and you can kind of see that she almost can you know, take a view into the past or into other people's kind of histories and and things like that. And I think um, 
I don't. I think that's enough explanation for me, and I don't think that's spoiling anything. That it's yeah. just like. But I can see um, some people having a problem with that, where it's like, oh, I don't understand. Oh, she just goes to bed and then starts doing this, and you don't really understand how she can kind of get a view into what actually happened. Yeah. In the sixties, yeah, I, I totally, I, I get that. But to me, that was enough through just the little bit at the beginning with the mom that um, I kind of was like, oh, she's either done this before or she. Um, you know, even the stuff she has almost mom, like a like, sixth sense, yes, right? Where like yeah. she's able to connect on some sort of other plane. It's it's almost like with you know, like the dead zone where Christopher Walken's character, after waking up from a coma, he's you know, he's had this traumatic experience, but now he has this kind of otherworldly sense or connection to something deeper. And Ellie is a very sensitive soul. And there's also just a clever line at the beginning where you know, she's she's dancing around in this um newspaper uh makeshift dress and she says oh um you know who are you wearing and mm-hmm. it's i just found that that line was kind of interesting because you know at one point she literally is she's be it's 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 also a little bit of vertigo in there as well where she's becoming this other person but yeah. the idea of like who are you wearing and and she becomes sandy as yeah, the that's the, cool yeah. yeah the film progresses along so yeah there's yeah. a lot of stuff to really admire and and like and and it is a fun film it's just that some of the um more substantial um social commentary on the past and present um in terms of where we are and how history repeats itself or it doesn't change at all kind of feels like you know this movie maybe can't really dig deeper than just the surface of, mm-hmm. of that stuff and it's just a shame because again like a lot of it is so much fun um that it kind of when you get to the more serious moments, it just doesn't necessarily um, stick the landing. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with that. And uh, also couple- shout out to uh chancellor uh, Valorum, AKA Terrence stamp, uh, <laughs> sure, who's yeah. also, I think perfectly cast in, as yeah. a role of a guy who's, you know, has this distinguished kind of charm to him, but also there's this underlying seediness. Yeah, um, you've already touched on the cinematography, so um, I don't need to go more into that. But I did think like the shots of London with the neon lighting and the puddles in the rain and stuff, it all looked really, really nice. Uh, the sound design, I think, is also excellent. Obviously, the the needle drops are, are great and, and literally, again, I could go two ways with this kind of stuff. But Edgar Wright is the guy who can do it properly, where I'm not annoyed that there are like 400 songs in the movie, like right. where in something like Suicide Squad or American Hustle or, or a lot of Tarantino movies um, or Martin yeah. Scorsese films. Um, I, but some people do it better than others. Right? right. And I think, you know, Scorsese and Tarantino do it a little bit better than some of these other movies because well, they're think, curating their, yeah, their and Edgar Wright themselves. is in that category as well. But yeah. then to the actual sound design and going back to seeing it at Tiff Bell Lightbox, um, Man, that we saw it in Cinema 3, which doesn't have the Dolby Atmos system. Um, and this is a little in the weeds, but like I just it, we saw it at the perfect theater because the projection was amazing. The masking was fantastic. The sound was incredible. I was dead center, which I usually sit a little bit closer. But because we have reserved seating, I was like, oh, I'm like literally dead center in this theater. I probably had the best one of the best seats there. And um it's just the sound design is I noticed things because the sound was so great at Lightbox that I would have never heard in 
you know, a, a multiplex or something like that. Like you mentioned um, the who are you wearing line, which is more obvious, but like there's some whispery kind of sound design through like the the ghost that she's kind of encountering and things like that. And like there are just like little things that I kept noticing in the surround sound and the and the sound. It was bombastic and loud and like um, and that kind of goes into the territory of talking about the scares of the movie. And I, I don't think the movie's necessarily scary. I don't necessarily think it needs to be scary either um, because it is enjoyable and energetic. But um, there are a couple moments with had this classic kind of very loud noise jump scare kind of thing and just this bombastic sound at the light box. Or the false sense um, of security where the character yeah. thinks that they're okay and then, you know, they're startled by something. Yeah, which is always fun. But yeah. um, but the movie I, itself, like there is some creepy design when it comes to certain things that I, I kind of liked. But then the more you saw of it, the more you're like, okay, I, I this doesn't. And I know it's playing. It into, loses um, its it loses its impact after a while because, as as you say, like it, it's it's used quite a bit. Which is any classic horror movie thing. The more I see of the monster, the less I kind of think it's scary um, or less so scary. The, yeah, the less I the less well, scary it is. Yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. but there are like there are certain creatures that like if they're really like obviously you know hr geiger's the alien like the xenomorph is incredible and and unfortunately that creature design is used so much that it kind of again loses its you know impact but yeah there's just something about it where it's like it, it works in small doses and less is always more because I think the creepier thing is just leaving it to your own imagination. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm torn on it. I could go anywhere as high as a three and a half, but, um, and then there are times where I'm like, I don't know if I quite dug this movie. Um, but then I think I ended up teetering off and I'm going to give it a three out of five. I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five. And another quick thing, not that it affects the film, but um, and we haven't seen it, but we'll probably catch up with it after the festival. Um, I would be really curious to see how it compares to James Wan's uh, Malignant, which is also uh, supposedly very much influenced by Jallo Cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would be fascinated to see how you know they compare and contrast in terms of you know the influences that they're borrowing from. But if if you are interested in jello cinema i mean the obvious one to start at is um uh, suspiria uh not the luca guadagnino one the dario argento uh, argento <laughs> movie so yeah 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 for sure um thank you all for listening or watching we'll be covering like i mentioned the entirety of the 2021 toronto international film festival so make sure you subscribe on youtube hit that notification bell all that jazz give us a thumbs up i think that's a good thing um and then uh or head over to podcast services at untitled uh movie reviews uh if you want just a one-stop shop for everything head over to our letterboxed hq which is untitled underscore movies uh we post all the links to the youtube videos the podcast all of our uh, ratings so our average of eric and i's ratings are usually on there um not usually they are on there all the time um and everything you want is over there all the social links all that jazz um you can find more of my work right here at untitledmoviepodcast.com and around the internet but uh you can follow me on all those social medias at matt Rohrbeck. and i'm eric Marchin. you can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinema scene uh and on the social medias at em6211 until next time forget all your troubles and go down down we need to go downtown soon to see fucking dune all right bye